But today our sermon will be from Acts chapter 16 and I'll read from verse 25 to the end of the chapter. Acts 16, 25 to 40. Let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us that we may know how you work, who you are and how you order the events of the world and our lives. But as we allow your word to sink into our hearts, our faith in you may grow. And our desire and longing for you to work in us may also increase. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 16 verse 25 About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds. He was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house to set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, Magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men, who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologised to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Acts 16 was about the birth of the church in Philippi. In fact, these few chapters are about the birth of different churches. But the birth in Philippi was a different church, a very special church. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul begins by saying, every time I think of you, I give thanks. I give thanks for you all the time. Whenever I think about you, I am grateful. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he wrote about the Macedonian church, of which Philippian, the Philippian church was the main one. And he wrote this, he said that in the time of severe testing for the church in Philippi, they gave to those in the famine, suffering in famine in Jerusalem. They begged for the chance to give to this church out of their joy and their deep poverty. The Macedonian church was a very, very poor church and they were going through a, a time of a tribulation, a, time, a very severe time in their lives. 
And while they were going through that, they begged Paul to receive the offering, some the collection that had given to the church in Jerusalem. Such was the church in Philippi and the Macedonian church. And so the Macedon the Filipino Philippian church had a very special place in Paul's heart. And in chapter 16, then we would it describes how that church was formed. Looked very simply. It seems as though this church appeared dead on arrival. We would say in our local dialect, local colloquial way that this church actually very sway. Because it started well. It started with Paul coming out and meeting a group of women and he preached and Lydia, one of the believers, a very influential woman, believed and then opened the house, invited Paul and Silas. And then Paul and Silas stayed a few days there. And during that time, they were disturbed by an evil spirit in a woman. And this woman was persistent. She, this slave girl followed Peter, Paul and Silas everywhere, telling everybody, believe in them, believe in them. They are the servants of the Most High God. Now, it sounds almost okay, but you, don't re you really don't want an evil spirit to be proclaiming that you are the servants of the Most High God. Person who had been divin uh, giving, doing divination, doing black magic and all that, you don't want her to be walking next to you all the time, telling everyone, these are the servants of the Most High God. And so Paul, in a moment of frustration, told the spirit, get out of her. And the spirit left this girl. But as the spirit left this girl, the owners of this girl were very enraged because she was earning a lot of money for them. And now that their livelihood was taken away, they were furious with Paul and Silas. And so they went to the rulers, the leaders, and said, this, what Paul and Silas did was a very un-Roman thing. They brought in their own cultures and they hurt our business and they hurt our religion, they insulted our religion. And the rulers then, the magistrates and the rulers then took them, beat them with rods. And I believe they were beaten quite badly. Open wounds, not only internal wounds, but open wounds that were beaten and then locked up. And not only were they locked up, they had stocks around their feet and they were put in a separate place, the inner prison. That seems to have been the end of the church in Philippians, in Philippi, just about to start, just a promising start, and then everything went south. What hope did this church have? Lydia would have been in the house sheltering a few more of the brothers and sisters. But the main leaders were already, the ministry of the main leaders was over. But it wasn't. It was a series of unfortunate events, surely. And this church began from that series of unfortunate events. But there were three things that made it different. Three things about Paul and Silas. The first thing was, it's hard to describe the first thing with one word. We could call it joy, and yet it was far more than joy. It was the outflowing of the Holy Spirit. One might call it, in, in the terms of Jesus, in um, John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, whoever thirsts, come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, from within him will flow rivers of living water. That was the promise that Jesus had made to the disciples and this apparently was what was happening to Paul and Silas. Because while beaten up and put in stocks, 
and waiting for the uncertainty of the next day. They were singing and praying. In verse 25, Paul and Silas were singing and praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. It's a most unusual event. That's why they were having such a bad time, they were badly injured. They were praying and singing. Something was happening inside them. It was not anger, it was not fear, it was not depression. There was something flowing out from within them. And perhaps the best description then is that there were rivers of living water, as Jesus promised, flowing from out of them. This reminds me of this story in 1736, January 25th, 1736. John Wesley took a trip, took a, a journey, a mission journey from England to the Americas. And in the middle of this journey, there was a terrible storm. The storm was so big that the waves actually overcame the ship. The water flowed into the ship as though the ship, it felt like the boat was underwater and the ocean had covered the boat. The passengers were terrified. Many of them Christians. John Wesley himself was terrified as he saw the ship covered in water. By that time, it was a Sunday and in the corner were a group of Germans. They were Moravians. They were having a church service. And when this flood, this tide of water flowed into the boat, the Germans continued to sing and to pray and to worship God. After things had calmed down, John then asked one of them, and he asked them, were you not afraid? And the man said, no, we were not afraid. And John then asked him, were your children and your women afraid? And they replied, none of them was afraid. We, were, we knew that our lives were in the hands of God and we were not afraid at all. This incident troubled John so much because it made him realise how terrified he was of death that at the face of death, he was very afraid. He landed in America. He had a disastrous ministry in America, totally rejected went back to England and still this incident and the words of this German rang in his mind. We were not afraid. Neither we, nor our wives, nor our children were afraid. And it caused John Wesley then to think again about his faith. He had preached God, he had done everything and he was scared. And he came to a point when he was so disillusioned that he told a friend, a very close friend of his, and he said, how then can I preach when I have no faith? And the man said, preach faith until you have faith. And then when there is faith, you will be able to preach faith. John Wesley, though not knowing how else to preach because he knew that he had no faith, he continued to preach. Two years he searched for God until Aldersgate Sunday, Aldersgate Day when he was passing by and he heard a sermon and there he felt that he actually believed that his sins were forgiven and he felt strangely warmed. The book of Acts is about outpouring and the outflowing of the Holy Spirit and that's perhaps where the elephant in the room is because we often ask, where is the Holy Spirit? God promised us the Holy Spirit Everyone who believes in Jesus from out of within us will flow rivers of living water. God promised us that he would give us the Holy Spirit. 
But we struggle with that because as we read more and more of the, the Acts of the Apostles, we hear more and more of how the Holy Spirit overcame people and it became obvious, changed their lives. And we struggle with that question, do I have the Holy Spirit? Then where's the Holy Spirit come upon me? Has it changed? Has he changed my life? One of the problems with the book of Acts, though, is that very often when the Holy Spirit came, it came almost instantaneously. And yet for many of us, we only have to hold on to that promise. And yet we don't know if there is a great change in our lives. And that's where we have to press on and keep praying. As Stacy said, God teach us to cry to you. John Wesley was haunted by that question for more than two years. More than two years, he heard about how he saw how the Moravians were absolutely not afraid as they worshipped God. There was joy in them. He hadn't had it, and it didn't come instantaneously. He struggled with it in America. He struggled with it back in England, asking himself, what faith is there in me? The reality is that we keep asking God and challenging God. Often in our faith, we say, well, I ask one time, don't have, that means don't have. But that's not the way to pray. If God has promised you something that is real, then ask God to show it to you and give it to you and keep asking. Because God says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. But we've got to ask. Jesus also told the parable of a persistent widow who wanted justice for herself asking from an unjust judge, but to keep, he kept asking and asking. And that's something for us to think about, to do, because if we really long for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit within us, to the point where we are no longer afraid, to the point where we can live for God, to the point where our hearts are transformed, then we have to keep asking God until we receive first thing then for these, for Paul and Silas, was outpouring, the outflowing of the Holy Spirit from within them. And they had that. And so while they were still in shackles, they were singing and praying. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I wonder how many of those prisoners eventually became Christians too. But that was how the church began series of unfortunate events, but two men overflowing with the Holy Spirit made a difference. The second reality was that they had compassion. Here was an opportunity, there was a big earthquake and all their chains were loosed and they could run out and that was an opportunity because they didn't know what was going to happen the next day. Would they be killed? What would happen to them? And here it seemed as though God had provided them the opportunity to run off for their lives. But then they saw the jailer in despair. The jailer, realizing that all was lost, took a sword and wanted to kill himself. And they had to choose between mercy and self-preservation. They had a chance to run, but they had a call to be merciful to this jailer who was there doing his duty. There was no, nothing that he did that deserved the mercy. After all, if he died, that's too bad. It's their own people. Paul and Silas should be out of prison. But they had to make that call. 
compassion and mercy or self-preservation. When we think about it, every day, every day we make that choice between self-preservation and compassion. We make that choice when you have to say something to someone that will protect yourself, that will protect our egos, that will hurt another person. Or we choose to speak with gentleness, with forgiveness, with grace. We choose to show mercy rather than self-preservation. The decisions that we have to make every day, whether it is to have something else, to make a profit, to, to make something big for ourselves, or to extend mercy to another who needs it. When I was very young, about four years old, I, I guess, one of the things that my mother used to do was to read stories to me, bedtime stories. And amazingly, these bedtime stories read to four-year-olds stick in our minds. And there was this story about a little girl who was very disobedient. She was naughty. In the living room was a vase, a very precious vase that was expensive. And the mother had told this girl many, many times, don't play ball, don't play with your balls in the living room because you might break something. One day, the girl in her, in her exuberance played the ball again and knocked the vase down. As the mother heard the vase crash to the ground, the girl was standing there transfixed. As the mother heard the vase break, she rushed into the living room to see her daughter standing there crying and all the pieces, broken pieces of the vase lying on the floor. The mother rushed to her daughter, grabbed her and said, thank God you're still all right, you're not hurt. This story meant a lot to me because it reminded me of what was important to a person. Was it that priceless vase that cost so much? Would it be the daughter who was now feeling hurt and in need of mercy? But we need to ask a question too as we face this issue every day of our lives. Is it compassion and mercy that we choose? Or is it something that benefits us, our self-preservation? The third thing that stood, maybe that helped the church, well, this certainly helped the church grow because that God who was about to kill himself became a Christian. He and his household, they became believers. And I believe then that it was this man who experienced so much of grace of God through Paul that the church in Philippi became such a strange and unusual and beautiful church. Paul's letter to the Philippians is about the most gracious book. And we are going to study this after Acts. Because it's about joy, joy in tribulation, grace in a time of need. And I believe that that was part of the seeds of this change. The third thing that Paul had, Paul and Silas had, was grit. They were told, okay, today you can go home. Now hurry up and get lost. Paul and Silas must have thought about the church. They're not about to just run off and disappear because that church would die. That church was just a fledgling. And they pulled off all the stops. Paul said, I'm Roman. So now you, you did wrong to me. You did wrong by me. You think you can just chase me out of the town by the back door? No way. You're going to apologize to me. You're going to take me to the front and set us free. 
Because if Paul and Silas had sneaked off sheepishly, the authorities could have lied about them and said these were criminals and the church is terrible and let's destroy and close the church. See, these men are just running off. They're scared. But Paul said, since you took us in openly, now set us, send us off openly. That stopped the officials from doing anything that was nefarious, anything that was under, under the table. It forced them to say that these two men are innocent of everything, that they are Romans. And that gave Paul and Silas a chance to go back to Lydia's house and spend a while more encouraging the brothers and sisters and in a sense legitimizing this church in the eyes of the Philippian officials, at least for a while. They weren't going to give up that easily. There are times when we got to make a stand that we have to grind our feet down and say, we are going to stay, not for our rights, but for the people that you love. I remember the story of Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks was the first black woman who dared to defy the whites in American apartheid. She had the church, the bus was divided into whites only and blacks. And of course, she sat where the blacks were. But one white passenger came up and saw that all the seats for the whites had been occupied. And so the, church, the bus conductor demanded that Rosa Parks leave her seat and give it to a white man. Rosa Parks refused. And for that, she got into huge trouble. She was sued. She was jailed. She was persecuted. She did it not because she was a fighter. She didn't like to do that. But she did it because it meant a lot to her people that they stood for what was right. Outpouring of the Holy Spirit, compassion and grit. These were things that allowed this church, this fledgling church that had almost died on arrival, flourish as Paul's joy and pride. One of the things then that we need to know is this, that we need to ask God for the outpouring of His Holy Spirit. You see, every time, very often as we face difficult circumstances, we think that it is the devil destroying our work. And we pray then that the troubles will go away. But John Wesley did not pray that the troubles, the storms will go away. He, he took the storms as an indication of what was inside him, that he was a frightened man. See, whenever we face troubles, our first prayer and our constant prayer is take our troubles away. But have we ever asked, why am I so troubled? As the psalmist says, oh my soul, why are you troubled within you? Why are we so troubled when troubles come? And perhaps when we ask that question, we realise that there's something inside us that is a problem. It's not just the circumstances. The circumstances sure are disturb disturbing us a whole lot. But what is inside us that makes us terrified? What is inside us that makes us depressed? What is inside us that's breaking? Is it because something is missing? That we need the infilling of the Holy Spirit that will make life different for us. Not simply a change in our circumstances. Not at all a change in our circumstances only. But a change inside us. Often we go through very difficult times at work, in the home. 
And perhaps the question we ask ourselves then is, why am I down, O my soul? What is troubling me? What is cutting me up? Is it because I need something more? I need the presence of the Holy Spirit that could make a difference so that I could be like Silas and Paul, that though beaten up and shackled, I could be singing and I could be praying. It's not something we can do on our own, let me tell you. It's not about, well, you try praying when you're depressed. You try singing when you're in big trouble. It's not going to work. You're not going to do it. But if it is an indication of something deeper within us, then when we face it and we say to God, God, it's broken inside. It's very broken inside. Come and change me. Pour out your Holy Spirit into me that out of within me may flow rivers of living water. It is a work of God. And we need to keep asking God until we receive because God promised us he would give it to us. Let us pray. Father, do a deep work within each of us. Because on our own, in our own resolutions, in our own strength, in our own abilities, we can control a lot of things, we can invent a lot of things, we can think through a lot of things, but we have so little control over our own emotions. We're easily depressed and that's our that's the way things are for us. We're easily angered. We're thin-skinned. Easily take offence at what others say. Easily threatened. Easily frightened. And Father, that's us. Even when we boast that nothing phases us, it's not true. Because lots of things trouble us, Lord. Lots of things. And it's not because life stings, it does, but it's because deep inside us there is an emptiness, there is a brokenness that needs to be healed, needs to be filled. And God, you promised, you promised that you will pour your Holy Spirit into us, that from within us will flow rivers of living water. We crave that, Lord, we want that. Father, help us too to persevere in praying, to keep asking until we receive and not allow ourselves to be shortchanged because sometimes you withhold because you want us to long for you more. And God, we ask then that we will take you at your word and hold you at your word until you fulfill that promise and you fill us with your Holy Spirit. And Father, when you do that, Lord, how our lives will change, how we will be filled with your joy, even in adversity, how we will show mercy, even at our expense, and how for the love of you and your people we will be bold, we will be full of grit, that God, we may 
serve and save one more. Come, Lord, and work in our lives. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.